With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into a special edition of the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. Those of you who've listened to our season finale already know that we were planning on taking a break through the entire month of July um, after that was recorded, but we had a special event kind of happen, uh, actually, for those of you paying attention to the site today, uh, Wednesday the 26th, SB Nation is actually taking a look back at the crazy season that was 2007 college football. And, of course, since that was such a great season for us Kansas fans, we jumped in full bore and are, are going to go ahead and take a look at that season. Uh, we actually have a lot of content for you, both audio content and also content on the site. Um, but today, we're actually going to go ahead and start with a discussion um, that I had with David, Mike, and Grad, kind of going over that that 2007 season. There's, there's a lot of content here, so we've broken it up into a few episodes. Um, so this is going to be part one of that conversation. It's going to cover kind of the preseason expectations and then the, the non-conference portion of the schedule. Um, but also kind of just as, as a preview, we also have interviews coming to you. Uh, we have some, some interviews with some former players, um, also with, with Bob Davis, who, who did the radio call at the time. And then I also have another... Um, another interview with Carrington Harrison focusing specifically on that KU Missouri game and kind of the implications surrounding that um, and how all that resulted. But for now, we're going to go ahead and jump in. This is part one of the, the, the conversation that I had with the rest of the crew from the site. Um, enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. I am joined today by Mike Plank. Uh, Dave. Yeah. And, and and then also by Grad. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. <laughs> Everyone's so so enthusiastic. All right. Am I going to get an introduction or, or should I just stay silent? Oh, no. Actually, I said your name, but it was interrupted by Mike celebrating me saying his name. Ah, so. uh, okay. So okay. for those of you that, that heard Mike instead of me, uh, we also have David Potter with us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, let's let's kind of set the atmosphere. Today we're not we don't have a, a huge agenda for for the podcast today. We kind of just wanted to take a look at that season and kind of remember, um, you know, kind of the thoughts and the feelings that we had around that season, and and in general, just kind of spend time talking about what everything that 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 season was to us. So I'm going to go ahead and start by by asking you guys a question. Um, obviously, coming off of the prior season where the team went six and six, um, you know, we 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 kind of talked about this a little bit in the in the, in the roundtable that's up on the site. But 
Um, having lost a big offensive piece in John Cornish, uh, who you know arguably had been one of the better running backs we had seen at Kansas in, in, in quite some time, what were your general thoughts, guys, about going into that season? Was there a lot of concern about a drop-off from the offense, even though we had a lot of guys returning, um, losing such, such a big piece? Or was there just so much excitement around the defense and the possibility of improvement um, with, with what we had at, with Kerry Meyer and Todd Raising potentially coming back at quarterback that it didn't really matter too much that we lost corners? I mean, I, I remember just sort of still being irritated by dropping – I think there were three games where we had a second-half lead and a couple, I think Nebraska and Baylor, or even had a fourth-quarter lead and uh, and blew those in 2006. So I was still – so I had some leftover irritation from that. I remember – and, you know, time obviously made a fool out of me on this one, but I remember being irritated when I saw the uh, preseason depth chart released. And, you know, we've got Todd Reesing, who – had, you know, had just played a little bit the year before, and it wasn't even six feet tall. Um, had beaten out Terry Meyer, who everyone had kind of planned on being a four-year quarterback. Um, and then we've got a 230-pound Brandon McAnderson starting at running back in a spread offense, which just seemed like a bizarre choice when you had uh, Jake Sharp there. So I just remember thinking, like, man, that's, I, I don't know what the, this offense is going to look like. Um, I, I, I think I my hopes for the year were just kind of, you know, hope that we could make it back to a bowl game. I, I don't think I uh, hoped for, really expected a whole lot more than that, uh, at least in August before any of the games were played. Yeah, I don't know how you could have expected too much. I mean, nobody knew that Chris Harris was going to be what he was. He was a freshman that year, and he started 10 games, uh, including the season opener. Uh, you know, so you, I don't even know that there was a lot of and I think Grad's probably going to disagree, but I don't know if there was a lot of optimism for the defense anyway. Yeah, we had Tlaib back, but Charles Gordon was gone. Um, and, and we had blown a bunch of leads. We lost to Toledo in double overtime. We lost to Nebraska in overtime in 2006. Uh, we lost to Texas A&M by three after having a lead. We lost to Oklahoma State by 10. We lost to Baylor by one point after blowing a huge fourth quarter lead. So 2006, you know, you could maybe say, yeah, I saw it. We were right there on the cusp. We blew those four games or whatever but uh there, there are too many questions on offense i think and and not enough answers on defense either i, I will disagree <laughs> um maybe i'm uh you know more optimistic than, than others but I, I was actually really excited for the season um and, and just because there, there were so many guys returning starting a quarterback i mean my viewpoint was either a you know, you go with Meyer and he's going to be a lot better than he was as a freshman or B uh, if racing is good enough to beat him out. I mean, the, the one thing I really trusted Mangino with at that point was, you know, offensively and probably with quarterbacks, you know, he, he usually seemed to kind of know what he was doing. Um, you know, he got Whitmore kind of designed an offense around him that looked great when we needed to have Meyer who honestly, as a freshman, Meyer couldn't throw the ball, <laughs> and you know he decided a, a a zone read option with him and Cornish. And Cornish, you know, had a monster year. Meyer was effective running the ball. Um, you know, really the quarterback struggles we had at that point were mostly due to injuries. So you know, I trusted him there. We had experienced receivers. The offensive line, you know, was was returning, was a year older. You know, and, and when you have a great offensive line, 
whoever's running the ball, it's not really as important. I mean, the Cowboys have proved that. The Denver Broncos proved that for years, and they had tons of different guys, you know, breaking records and having 1,000-yard seasons. The defense is returning a lot of guys. Um, you know, losing Gordon was that, – that was a blow, but Tlaib had started to show signs the year before. And, and I mean, just if nothing else, like Mike said, in 2006, they were just so close. I mean, they were literally like, what, 14 total points away from being like a 10-win team? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Uh, they the, the Toledo game, they shouldn't have lost. They were the better team. They win the game if they don't botch a, a simple handoff in overtime. Texas A&M, they were up like 18-3, to fell apart. Baylor, they were up like 35-14. to um, Oklahoma State, they had, a, I think they had a 10-point or 14-point halftime lead uh, before they blew it. Um, the Nebraska game, they, you know, went to overtime. So there, there was all these opportunities. And, you know, you're just thinking if this team can just take just a, not even a huge step forward, if they can just take a moderate step forward, they could easily go from six to 10 wins because they were just so close the year before. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't expecting, you know, what happened at BCS run or anything like that, but I was optimistic. You know, I, I said, let's just solidify a few things. Everyone gets a little bit better. And, you know, if, if we finish half of, if, if we just finish half of the games we should have won or nearly won last year, that'll get us, you know, up to eight, nine, and maybe even 10 wins right there. Well, but here's the thing, though. In 2006, it, the pendulum kind of swung both ways. Yeah, we lost five games by a total of 27 points, but we also beat Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe by two. We beat South Florida by six. We beat Colorado by five. Like, we, we had some close wins in there, too. Then again, yeah, but I'm optimistic. <laughs> well, but then again, you know, you look at, at that South Florida game especially, um, you know, South Florida the very next year was a team that ended up being ranked number two at one point. On, or, no, actually, I think number one at one point. I mean, that, that was a team that was on the rise. We didn't necessarily see it the year before. Um, but that was definitely a good team, and, and beating them by such a small margin, I, I don't think was necessarily a, a you know a, a hit on us for for that. But the thing that had me concerned going into the year was just that the prior year John Cornish was such a huge part of the offense, um, and he really set up a lot of what even the passing game was able to do with, with how well he was able to run and how well he was able to kind of control the tempo of the game. You have to remember too, though, that this was the time frame where you know, running back by committee wasn't a thing yet. Um, you know, you had a good running game when you had a solid single rusher who could put up a lot of yards in a, se- in, in a season by himself and could control that tempo. And there was a lot of concern with the fact that Kansas was very clearly going to be using multiple running backs and kind of do a running back by committee. And, you know, obviously nowadays, that's a, I mean, that's, that's kind of the standard. But back then, it really, really was not anything at all, um, you know, standard or anything like that. And so it, it was it was kind of a big red flag at the time because we were losing such a prolific rusher and didn't have anybody that could step back in that role that we were comfortable with saying for sure he's going to be able to provide that offensive spark that we need to make sure that the passing game isn't going to get blown up by defenses that can just spy on it. So I know I was kind of concerned whether the offense was going to be able to keep it up. I didn't really have a lot of concerns about the defense again, because Tlaib was coming on strong. And we just had such a large amount of talent that wasn't like huge name, you know, nationally known talent, 
but it was very solid, good, big 12 caliber defensive talent that we could count on to be able to kind of anchor that side of the ball for us. It really was just, you know, what kind of question marks do we have on that offense? Can we really keep all of that going? Yeah, right, I mean, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, to Mike's point about uh, the running back situation, you know, uh, Brandon McAnderson, I'm looking at it here, had, had run the ball a total of 53 times in his career before 2007. Then he carried it 190 times that year. And he was all, he was really more of a blocker, more of a, a fullback, because um, you know had used a lot of kind of that, that two running back set uh, with uh, with you know, the quarterback could line up in a shotgun with uh, a running back on either side. But McAnderson was never really a featured back, and you know to see him named the starter right out of the gate was a little jarring because you know as uh, as effective as he ended up being, you know he's not not exactly a speedster, wasn't really a you know an NFL type running back or anything like that um then you look at the wide receivers you know Des Briscoe was an unheralded freshman nobody really knew anything about him at that point um he got he was suspended I think for the first game of the year for some uh, off the field uh trouble before the season even started but I think he was just a two or three star recruit nobody even knew really who he was and you know Kerry Meyer you know would would end up transferring to wide receiver uh, a little later on in the year um, but really, all that was coming back, you know, Marcus Henry obviously was really good. And then Dexton Fields uh, was a solid college wide receiver. But, it, you know, look, looking at that offense before the season, um, it was really hard to put your finger on where, it, on, on how that was going to be, be a, a, a really productive offense. You know, obviously there were some pieces there with Derek Fine, Marcus Henry, um, but there were a whole lot of question marks, and I, I don't think anybody could possibly have foreseen, uh, you know, just how explosive that offense ended up being. Yeah, the other – Des Briscoe is a three-star recruit. Uh, his offer list was Boise State, Houston, uh, Tulsa, but then you have Iowa, Missouri, Oklahoma State, and TCU in there as well. So he was a three-star recruit, but there were some bigger schools after him. Yeah, the other the other thing to keep in mind is that this was the first year that Ed Warner was in charge of the offense. So there was definitely a little bit of, um, I guess, uncertainty of what was he going to change. Um, you know, any any time you go go to a new offensive coordinator, even if it was someone being promoted from the staff, there's there's definitely going to be questions about does anything change. And obviously, Mangino has has control of the entire thing. But you know, I think one of the things that Mangino did well was he definitely took a lot of input from his from his assistants, from his coordinators, and kind of let them run the show and kind of gave his notes as he needed to. Um, so th- there was definitely a little bit of added uncertainty there with with how Warner was was going to be able to kind of put all the pieces together and and replace what was lost. So a- anyone else have any other comments about the offense? All right, let's go ahead and move on then. Um, so, obviously, the season starts off really, really well. Um, we have four games against non-conference opponents, and none of them are even close. Uh, we have a 52-7 to win against Central Michigan, a 62 to nothing win against Southeast Louisiana, a 45-13 to win against Toledo, and a 55-3 to win against Florida International. Um, are, are, there, are there any moments of any of those games that kind of stick out to you guys, or was it kind of just your traditional big, you know, power conference team beating up on much lesser opponents. 
I don't know that there were moments, but I, I think, uh, you know, beating Central Michigan 52 to 7 was a surprise for me, uh, just because, I mean, they ended up winning the MAC that year, and I, I think just a year or two prior, I think they'd had a really good year where they won double digit games. Um, so that, that was not, that wasn't a great team, but that was not a bad central Michigan team. And they just came out and steamrolled them. And, you know, I, I, I certainly didn't think that that was, you know, going to put us down the road to a 12 and one season, but it definitely, uh, grabbed my attention out of the gate. Yeah, that was definitely the, the big one. I, I remember, you know, something really significant about the central Michigan game actually was a lot of people picked KU to lose that game. I mean, like, uh, I, I think I, I was reading the star and you know how the star has like the, the sports writers, like there'll be like 10 of them and they all make their picks. And I, I, I promise you at least, at least three or four, and it might've even been five people pick central Michigan to win that game. Uh, the sporting news picked central Michigan to win that game in their preview. So you, you go into that game and you're thinking, you know, this team, this team won the Mac or is one of the best teams in the Mac. We lost to a MAC team last year. Um, you know, if nothing else, hopefully this is a game we can win. But if nothing else, you're thinking it's going to be a pretty close game. Um, if there's a play that stood out, actually, on, on our opening drive of the game, we had a fourth. Um, it wasn't a fourth and terribly short. It was something maybe like fourth and four, fourth and five. And, I mean, we weren't on – we were maybe barely past midfield. I, I mean, you know, not in a position. I mean, if it was David Beatty calling it, we would have, you know, had the punt team out there as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was one of those things where it was 0-0. Zero, zero. We're, we're facing an opponent that uh, up until that point, everyone's kind of thinking, you know, this should be a pretty, pretty close game. And then Gino went for it. <laughs> you know, he basically – I always thought that that was such a great opening kind of kickstart to the season where he basically said, you know what, this offense is going to be great. I believe in it. I don't care if it's fourth and four, we're going for it. And he sent the offense right back. I mean, Demon hesitates and the offense right back out there. We converted. I'm pretty sure we went down and scored that drive. Um, And then that game also had, you know, the the famous Pendleton hot dog (laughs) punt return touchdown. Um, you know, it was just one of those games where all of a sudden it kind of things started spiraling and it got out of hand. But I, I remember just watching it and being like, man, we look good. We look legitimately good. And the other games, you know, keep in mind that, yeah, they're, we're playing, you know, pretty much the, the school for the blind and deaf. But, you know, at, at that point, KU beating anyone 60-something you know, to nothing was – that was pretty unheard of. So, um yeah, I mean, definitely I'd say it started with beating a good opponent and then obviously with Toledo, I mean, you just kicked the living crap out of someone who, who beat you the year before. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was definitely some great signs in the first game. And even though the other opponents weren't good opponents, you know, like I said, the year before, like Mike pointed out, we beat, you know, Louisiana Monroe by, I think we only beat them by two points, like 21-19 or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and we – and we had had some struggles with, you know, struggles with some teams in the past. Um, you know, there were times where, you know, even 2004, 2005, maybe, you know, there was the, the losses to Northwestern teams that weren't that good, maybe struggled to put away some other teams, uh, non-BCS teams. So even though, uh, you know, some of the schools, you know, were, were, were playing teams that were kind of a nobody, I mean, KU beating anyone by 60 points, I mean, that's that's pretty significant. 
And that's a and fair point. But real quick, uh, Central Michigan did win ten games the uh, the year before. They went ten and four, so that was uh, that's it's not surprising that they were actually picked to to win by some people in that game. Right, and they went on to win the MAC, as you said that year. Right, they um, yeah, they were eight and yeah. that year, won the right. MAC, uh, and then won their bowl game too. So I mean, right. they, they were a decent team. But yeah, I mean the the previous year they were ten and four total. Um, you know, won their 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 conference basically going away if I'm looking at this right. Uh, yeah, I believe that's correct. Or no, Western Michigan was only a game behind them in the West Division, um, and then it looks like they they beat up on Ohio in the uh, the MAC championship game. So I mean, yeah, they were definitely a very hot team at the end of the prior season. So I wouldn't be that surprised that they were actually expected to win. Um, but I mean, yeah, you know, any any time that a a power conference team is playing at home, they're supposed to be able to win very, very easily. But then again, we also have to remember this is 2007, the the craziest year of college football in, in quite some time. I mean, this was, I believe it was the week prior that, um, or maybe it was even that same week that that Appalachian State beat Michigan, uh, up at Michigan. Um, you know, so, I mean, this mm-hmm. was kind of already a bunch of crazy things happening, Central Michigan coming in and winning, or even Kansas winning if they were a slight underdog, wasn't even the craziest thing to happen, so it kind of got overlooked. Well, and it's a fair point about scoring a bunch of points on crappy teams, but we'd even, I mean, we saw Terry Allen teams do that. I mean, they went and beat Cal State, nobody, by a 70-14 to 14 count or something at some point. I mean, we've, we've seen bad Kansas teams beat up on other bad teams, but we had never seen something like that against a Central Michigan team that was expected to be good, was good the year before, and ended up winning their conference. Like, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, that was a great win. And beating them by – how many points did we beat them by? 40-some-odd points. 45. Yeah. Uh, it's it's late. I, the maths are hard. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, beating them by that much in retrospect was a huge win. And – you know, maybe at least I'm guilty of this. You know, I overlooked it at the time. I'm like, oh, maybe Central Michigan sucks this year. You know, because you don't know. It's it's week one or week two or whatever it was, and 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 you just don't know what you got. And you know, maybe it was a flash in the pan. Maybe everything was clicking. Maybe that's the most points we'll score all year. Uh, but you know, n- none of those things turned out to be true. Right. And by the time that that game became relevant in terms of how good Central Michigan was, you know, we really only remembered the week for what happened crazy, you know, nationwide, that, that Appalachian State upset. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that Kansas actually beat a solid team soundly at home um, wasn't really even a thought anymore because everybody was remembering all the other crazy results. Yeah. And that'll do it for part one of this special episode of the podcast. Check back later today. We will have part two up today. Um, any any additional parts after that, we'll probably be coming tomorrow on, on Thursday. Um, also be, be checking for the first part of the interview that I did with uh, Karen Ken Harrison and any other things we might have coming out today. We will see you back later today for the next part of the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. Podcast Network. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.